Welcome to the Community Church Podcast, your place to belong. Thanks for taking the time to tune into this week's message. I hope that it blesses and encourages you. Sweet. I want to turn to Second uh, Samuel chapter 6 and I want to tell a story as it relates to God's presence and our approach to God's presence as we continue on our This Is Us uh, series. Um, and before we get into the story, you know, have you ever had a moment where you have been in the same place with somebody, but both of you had a different opinion or different experience? You know, kind of like when you go to a restaurant, you think it's amazing, your spouse thinks this is the worst place ever, you're not going back, you know, kind of a thing. Like, like for me, I love going to um, Tucker's Marketplace, Cora can't stand it, partly because because she doesn't eat as much, you know, so she doesn't feel like she's getting, how many, how many, how many wives feel that way, right? You don't feel like you're getting bang for your buck because you don't eat as much at a buffet, right? And all the guys are going, what are you talking about? Like, we're saving money here, you know, kind of a thing, right? Uh, but Cora just has a thing about buffets. It's not her favorite thing, you know, but same place, different experience. Everyone has a different experience. You go to a movie, you can sit in a movie theater, watch a movie, um, you know, and have a different opinion about it. We were just talking about Kanye West's uh, album that just came out, you know, and, uh, and, you know, and Cody's like, man, it's really awesome. And, you know, everyone around the table is like, that's really cool. And then I, you know, I've heard from a lot of people on social media how they can't stand it, whatever. And it's amazing how you can have... The same experience as far as the moments. You can be in the same place and yet have a different experience and a different perspective. And I want to talk about the same experience that three individuals had with the presence of God. But all of them had three different perspectives and three different experiences. And how we can learn from each of them on a principle how we should approach the presence of God. Because we want to be known as a group of people that are passionately pursuing the presence of God because just like David said in Psalm 63, I've seen you in your sanctuary, meaning I've experienced you. And here's what I experienced. I experienced your power, which is transforming. That's the transforming power of God. It happens in his presence. And I've seen your glory. I've sensed your character. I've gotten to know you. And that led David to the sense that I, I know that your love is better than life. There's nothing like it. And he left secure. And I, that's my heart and my passion as a pastor uh, for all of us is that when we come in here on a Sunday or we come to gather on, say, a, a Sunday night encounter from time to time when we have them or, you know, maybe in your community group or maybe in your own devotional time that when you get into the presence of God that you would experience those things. But those things don't happen by accident. Those things happen with intentionality. And so, you know, my heart and my passion is that we would be intentional when we walk in here, that we would walk in here with an expectation because I believe that God is already here with an expectation of what he wants to do. We just have to just kind of open up our hearts and surrender ourselves to that. And so this story in 2 Samuel is a story of, um, you know, the moment. The, the Philistines had uh, taken the, the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, which, which represented the presence of God, would travel with Israel and it would be established, you know, in, 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 you know, in the tabernacle. It was the tent, in, you know, it was like the tent of meeting type of thing. It was this, this moment, this, this, this physical box that, that actually you know, represented the presence of God. And nobody, listen, not even the priests were allowed to touch it. There were specific rules about how the presence of God was to be carried and moved and positioned and, and even approached. 
And we find ourselves in 2 Samuel chapter 6 where, you know, uh, we have the situation where the Philistines had captured the ark. And this is really important because they've basically taken what, you know, the Israelites would have seen as the presence of God, even though David understood that the presence of God was bigger than the box. But it was a symbol. And it was an important, sacred, holy uh, symbol that they would carry with them. And, and so in 2 Samuel chapter 6, we find David, and David decides, I'm going to go and retrieve the ark. And he takes 30,000 men, and he goes to where the ark was being, uh, uh, you know, was, was being kept. And he gets there, and of course, they're super excited about retrieving you know, uh, the ark of the covenant. And so, you know, I mean, if you thought the raptors parade was great, if you thought that was crazy, you know, if you saw that on TV and the, just the throngs of people just all in the streets, and it was just like wall-to-wall bodies, and, and everyone's celebrating, everyone's having a good time, that's kind of the picture as David, uh, you know, brings the ark of the covenant, except that the ark of the covenant, instead of carrying it the way that they should or how they should do it, David kind of ignored those things, and they put the ark of the covenant on a cart. And they begin to, to move this, this ark, and, and of course, as the ark is moving, it hits a certain spot, and it begins to fall over. And there's this guy named Uzzah, and Uzzah reaches out, and you would think it's a heroic moment because he's, he's reaching out to stop the ark from falling off the cart. I mean, that just makes sense. The problem is, the scripture says that God's anger burned against him, and God took his life right there. And the reason why is because in Numbers chapter 4, there were very specific rules. And one of those rules is even the priests were not allowed to physically touch the Ark of the Covenant. It was meant as a symbol to say, listen, my presence is very holy. No ordinary thing can touch my presence. How many are grateful for Jesus breaking, you know, that, that barrier, right? Amen, right? Like so, but that was the rule in the Old Testament. And so God, again, being God, he is just. And, and, and as unfair as that might seem to us, he takes Uzzah's life. And, and, and David gets angry. The scripture says that, that he was like just so angry. The word in the Hebrew actually means to burn or to blaze. Like he is just on fire. He's so ticked off. Now, part of that being ticked off has probably something to do with the fact that it was David that done the wrong thing, which is he allowed the Ark of the Covenant to be placed on a cart when it was supposed to be carried by poles on shoulders. So he's probably a little angry at himself for not doing the right thing. If it was on poles, this wouldn't have happened. Uzzah would still be alive. On top of that, now he's supposed to enter the city of Jerusalem with the Ark of the Covenant. It's meant to be the celebratory moment, but we're not celebrating right now because we just lost somebody. So I can't take this ark with me, is what he says. And so he decides to leave it at the home of a guy named Obed-Edom. And I can imagine if you're Obed-Edom. Really? You want to leave it here? Thanks a lot. Like, do you know how hard it is to tell your kids not to touch something? Can you imagine, like, all of us have used this line, right? If you touch that, something bad's going to happen to you, right? Like, especially when they're younger, right? Like, literally, Obed-Edom's like, don't touch that. You could die. No, seriously, you could die. Don't touch that. You know what I mean? Like, you know, but while the Ark of the Covenant, and David and them leave, and while the Ark of the Covenant is there, Obed-Edom's house, the entire house, lived in complete blessing. I mean, they were just enjoying favor in every way, shape, or form imaginable. And David catches wind of this a few months later. So David goes back. 
And he decides, I'm going to take the Ark of the Covenant because now we can bring the Ark of the Covenant back. There's a sign. Everything is good now. And so he goes, can you imagine being Obed-Edom? I'd be looking at David going, oh, sure. Now you want the Ark of the Covenant. Like everything's good. Okay, I see how it is. And so David takes the Ark back. And now all of that big parade that was going on, the dancing, the celebrating, actually the word that that defied, and I'll get into this a little bit more, but the word that was used to, dis, to talk about how they were shouting was like they were sounding this alarm. It was just this war cry. They were so excited. And so, of course, so excited that as they entered the city, David's wife, Michael, who was up in, which is interesting, she's looking from a window. She's not down with everybody else. She's not with the rest of the city. They're not in, she's not enjoying this moment at all. In fact, if anything, she just thinks this is ridiculous because David is acting in her way, in her mind, completely undignified as a king. She was the daughter of Saul, so she understood royalty. And she's just like, man, I don't, I don't get you, David. You're dancing around like a fool in her mind. And, of course, it leads to these famous words in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 21 and 22. I will celebrate before the Lord, and I will become even more undignified. That, that word means to, you know, it means lightness. It's like taking away. Like David's like, I will strip away every bit of reputation, dignity, whatever you think that I am or how I should act. I'm, I would throw it all away if I could in order for God to be glorified. He said, I'll be humiliated in my own eyes. But these slave girls, because she mentioned slave girls, she's like, these girls are watching you, David, and this is inappropriate. And David said, these slave girls, and basically it was a shot at Michael, I will be held in honor, meaning they've figured it out, but Michael, you're sitting up in a room by yourself. You don't get how important this is. It's interesting how all of them had an encounter with the presence of God, but every one of them had a different experience. But what I love about this passage, and to be quite honest with you, this passage has shaped how I have led worship over the years, how I enter into worship, my approach to worship, and I want to share those with you today in hopes that it would encourage you, inspire you, teach you, challenge you, uh, you know, in the sense of thinking it through and processing how you come into the presence of God. When we come into worship, when we come to ascribe worth to God, that's what worship is. We're ascribing worth to God. It's the, and, and the expressions come through lifting of our hands or the lifting of our voices or the clapping of our hands. Or, you know, there are other passages of scripture that talk about, you know, lying, you know, um, uh, prostrate before the Lord and, and, and just you're, you're, you're just you're flat on your face before God. You fall down. It's it, those are expressions of worship, but they're coming from a heart that says, God, I just love you so much that that I'll cross over that physical barrier and I will express. It's no different than when you go to high five somebody, you high five somebody because you're excited about something. The lifting of my hands is a sign. It's an outward expression of what I'm feeling on the inside. So I want to talk about these three individuals today. I want to look at Uzzah. You know, Uzzah was an interesting one, but with the thing that Uzzah, you know, because uh, like I said, you know, for him, I don't think he would say that, that this experience in the presence of God, you know, was like the highlight of his life, right? I mean, I don't think death is so cool, you know what I mean? Like, so I'm sure he wouldn't put it there, but here's what I've learned from the life of Uzzah and that whole moment. Because I'm like you, when I first read it, and even now as I read it again, I often look back and I'm like, man, 
Like, this is so unfair. This is just a heroic moment, God. He's just trying to keep your presence from falling. He's just, he's just trying to honor you. The problem is, is that verse 6 and 7 actually gives us a little bit of an insight on the attitude or the approach that God sees, his perspective. Verse 6 and 7 says this, When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the Ark of the Covenant because the oxen had stumbled. And then the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverence. Do you know what the word means in the Hebrew? It means to treat something as ordinary. It means to treat it with a lack of respect, meaning he didn't take it seriously. You know, and so, and so God saw it as an irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died right there beside the Ark of the Covenant. In his moment of haste, he just reached out, probably forgetting that Numbers chapter 4 says, Hey, listen, specifically, do not touch, not even the priests don't even touch it. And yet Uzzah does it. Why? Why does, God, why does God do something when you know that it was innocent? And here's, here's what I've learned over the years. that It's a great picture and a great opportunity for us to learn that God's presence is no ordinary thing. And it's not meant to be treated ordinarily. In fact, it is meant to be treated with the, the most utmost respect and most honor. It needs, to be, it needs to be looked upon with this sense of, man, I can't believe that I get the privilege of being or enjoying the presence of God. It's not just a you know, song service. And, and, and like I said, this is, this is the, you know, the, the word that I feel like God's saying is, listen, this is my presence. It's no ordinary thing. It's a precious thing. And when you come into it, it does require a sense of, God, I'm just in awe of this moment. I'm here. Because I don't need to be here, but I want to be here. God chooses to be here. Look at Moses. Moses was like, God, I don't want to go anywhere without your presence. They understood that there was something about the presence of God that was life-changing. If there's anything that I want to challenge you on in your act of worship when you come in here on a Sunday... Or when you spend some time and, and you're alone with the Lord, and whether that's in your house or you're in your car, and you can feel the manifest presence of God, don't treat it lightly. You're not here to, listen, and, and when I say treat it lightly, here, let me, listen, I've led worship a long time. A long time. And you learn to read people over those years. And I know everyone gets upset and they're like, you can't judge me, Pastor Craig. You know, you can't tell whether I'm worshiping or not. Oh, really? See, it's not by the expression, but it's the body language that speaks to me. It's not the lifting of my hands or the clapping that, that sparks it. I can sense it in my heart. I can see it in people's eyes. In fact, I was, I was telling the Thursday night crowd, I remember a guy actually admitting to me that he would come late on purpose to service and miss the first 15 or 20 minutes of worship because he just wanted to catch the tail end and get to the word. I'm like, are you actually telling me this? Are you serious? Now, I love the guy. I mean, he was, he was a, a good friend. I appreciate it, but I was like, man, I can't believe you're telling me this because sometimes we do. Sometimes we treat worship like, you know, the worship part of our service, like as if it's, you know, second place to the word of God. It's not. They work in connection. And when we just go through the motions and we're just singing, well, I'm just, we're just singing songs. No, you're not. No, you're not. This is your avenue to do something that you can't do on a personal level. There's something about corporate worship that happens, or something happens significantly in corporate worship that doesn't happen in the personal worship. 
It's different. But here's a window where we're inviting the very presence of God. And my challenge to you, but thankfully for the grace of God, no one's going to die here, but, but we can touch heaven because of what Jesus did. He made a way. He tore the veil. Now there's access to, to, to God, to the Holy of Holies, to get into his presence, to that deep place with God. And the worst thing we can do is to treat the presence of God lightly, like it's just some ordinary thing. It's not. It's a precious thing that deserves a certain level of intentionality, respect, and honor. And that is really more about the attitude of the heart than it is the expression of your hands. Although, let me just say to you, when worship comes from the heart, don't be surprised if there starts to come an expression through the hands. Because that's what I learned from David. You know what David taught me? David taught me that worship is all about him. And you notice that verse 21, he says this in response to his wife. He said, listen, it was before the Lord. What David was saying is everything that I'm doing right now, I'm doing it for God. I'm not doing it for show. I'm not doing it for the city. I'm not doing it because, you know, I want everyone to watch me. Certainly not wanting you to watch me on this, Michael. I don't care about anybody else around me right now. This is for God. What he was doing in her mind was he was doing something that was undignified, but in his mind, he's like, this is the most appropriate response. The Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, has been gone for a long time. We finally retrieved it. It's come home. That's worth celebrating. That's worth getting excited for, Michael. Why can't you get excited about this? The scripture says that he danced, and the word uh, with all of his might, it's this idea that he danced intensely, meaning he was focused. There was a great sense of boldness in his worship. In fact, you know, one of the, uh, the Hebrew words that's used to describe the word dance here um, is, the, is the suggestion of a finger motion. And I, I remember reading that for the first time and thinking to myself, finger motion, what's that all about? And then all of a sudden it dawned on me. I think David might have been the first person to ever air guitar in the presence of God. <laughs> like he was doing something, you know, like he was just part of whatever he was doing. Play, like I've done it, I've done it. Cora laughs at me when I get in the car. I'm either playing the drums, pretending I'm playing the piano, or I'm strumming along like it's a guitar. And she's like, you look like a complete moron. You know that, right? And I don't care. This is so good. But you know, I, I fought to say this because I'm like, everybody says it, but there's so much truth. Because what David did was appropriate in the presence of God. It was a celebratory moment. God deserves to be celebrated for his goodness and his presence. No matter what we're going through, which I'll get to in a second. But so many times, you heard, you've heard it. And I used to laugh at it, but it's so true. We'll go to sporting events. You know, we'll, we'll go to something else. We'll, we'll go to a play and we'll applaud. We'll do the two-finger applaud, you know, because that's just appropriate. And we don't even think about us cheering. It's like that story I told last week about, or a couple weeks ago, about being that kid at Maple Leaf Gardens and the cup goes flying. I didn't think about the cup. I didn't think about anything else. The Leafs scored. That's all that mattered. And like I said, back in those days, it was rare. 
And if you watched last night's game, it was even more rare. What is it about worship that can make us really hindered? We're afraid to lift our hands. Or we're afraid to clap. And it could be because we're not used to that. That's Pastor Craig, I didn't grow up in that, you know, uh, that environment, that culture where you know, worship for us was just what you said in the first part about Uzzah. It was just this thing that you did and you just got to the word. But that's not how it should be. And it's not because it's a charismatic or Pentecostal or evangelical thing. Here's the thing. The scripture is full of physical expressions that come from an attitude of the heart that is about him. Worship is for him. It's not about everybody else. And if anything, listen to me, if anything, our worship needs to get to a place like David's where it's unhindered. It's not about being undignified. David just refused to let anything or any, anyone or any situation do define how he expressed what he was feeling in his heart that was genuine because the worship that he was doing had nothing to do with anybody else in the room. It only had to do with God. And he felt in that moment, God, that's what you deserve. I remember a time where my dad, years ago, I think I told this story. My dad is as, you know, uncoordinated as you can get as far as, like, movement. Like, you, you know, like... Hockey, maybe, but like, you know, dancing, especially growing up as a traditional Pentecostal, you know, back in those days, East Coast Pentecostals didn't believe uh, in dancing. It was inappropriate. Uh, you know, you couldn't go to school dances, all that kind of stuff. And so my dad never learned any kind of rhythm except for maybe the Pentecostal two-step. And if you're Pentecostal, you know what I'm talking about. It's just moving two feet. That's all you do, right? And my dad would be expressive in worship, but the one thing I've never witnessed is my dad dancing in the presence of God. And I didn't think I wanted to, to be honest with you, because he's so uncoordinated. I knew it would be awkward. And I remember one Sunday night we were at church and, and there was a ministry time around the altar, around the front of the, the stage, and, and pastors are praying for people. And my dad went up to respond and, and I watched my dad and I saw him moving a little bit and I thought, uh-oh. Uh-oh, the uncoordinated white guy who's never danced a day in his life is about to get his groove on. I'm not sure I'm feeling comfortable about this. And I watched my dad, and I can sense there was hesitation, and yet there was this deep desire to do it. And I thought to myself, I can see where the hesitation is right now. I guarantee that the hesitation partly is because, you know, my dad is wrestling with what people would think. And so after my dad finally gave in and my dad started dancing, and it was super awkward and completely out of rhythm, but he didn't care. I was inspired, and I learned a lesson that day. Because we got into the car, and I said to my dad, hey, dad, are you afraid that people are going to laugh and mock you for this? Because all you know, you know how you're with your friends, right? Anything that awkward that happens, you, it's like it's mandatory. You have to make fun of your friends, right? It's like a rite of passage. You have to. And my dad said, "Yeah." He said, "I I I sat there, stand, stood there, thinking to myself, man, if I do this, God, so I want to do this. I know I don't dance, but I want to do this for you tonight." 
But I know there are going to be people that, in, and just in fun, not hard, not, not, not harsh or anything, just in fun. And uh, he just said, I thought to myself, am I going to let them define the worship that belongs to God? Am I going to let my comfort zone determine my worship for God? Because if I am, then basically I'm submitting and coming under authority of my own feelings, comfort zone, which then puts that just a little bit above Jesus for a moment. Am I going to let other people's opinion of how I do this? Don't get me wrong. There's a place of appropriateness. That's important to know. Scripture says in the New Testament, do everything in order. I get that. And my dad said, I'm not letting anything define my worship. David said, I'm not letting anything define my worship. I'm going to be unhindered. The only person that's going to determine my worship is my heart, my personal preference. And when I say personal, meaning I'm willing to go, God, wherever you want me to go. I'm just going to do it because you deserve my praise. This is for you. Rebecca, I'm going to have you come because if I don't, we'll keep going here. Last one. Michael. The problem is, is that Michael missed out because she let her circumstance determine her worship. If you begin to read into the history of Michael, there's a lot of baggage there. A lot. Michael was the daughter of Saul and she was meant to be David's wife from the very beginning, but because Saul had this thing against David, after he had said, yes, David, you can have her, he turns around and he gives her to another man. Not to mention that for many, many years, Saul chased after David because there was an anointing on David's life. Remember, notice what David said to Michael. I was appointed king by God. See, Saul was chosen by the people. David was chosen by God. And I don't know for certain. All I know is, is that as an entire city is celebrating that the presence of God is here, Michael's in her room looking from a distance, and she's bitter and she's angry, and she's hurt, and she's broken. And she allowed it to keep her from enjoying the presence of God. And how many of us walk in, I had those moments, listen, I'm walking here like that today. I'm not feeling 100%. And again, it's, it's kind of like, David, am I going to let my physical body or my circumstance or my brokenness or my hurt rob me from the presence of God? Because listen to me, there's something about the presence of God that brings breakthrough in all of those things. We don't worship God so we get back from God, but it's a natural byproduct that when you come into the presence of God, now you've got God's attention and God's already had his attention on you and now you're more aware and you're more open and you've surrendered in that moment to the very presence of God and by your, your very act of surrender, you've now opened yourself up to something significant to happen. That's just, that's worship 101. 
You still do it regardless, though. But I never let my circumstance determine my worship. And the moment that I do, I look at myself and I go, nope. And on purpose, even though I don't feel like lifting my hands, even though I don't feel like clapping, you're like, but Pastor Craig, that's not genuine. Yes, it is. Because it's a choice in that moment. I'm not letting anything, no matter what I'm feeling, no matter how discouraged I am or how depressed that I am. I've had moments like that where I've had weekends leading up to a service, had the worst weekends of my life. In fact, I remember years ago getting a letter after being in Calvary for almost eight months, someone demanding that the board look at my, my ministry and evaluate me and basically suggesting that I should lose my job. And I did not want to go to church that Sunday. I didn't want to preach. I wanted to quit. I wanted to walk out the door. I walked in. I didn't feel like lifting my hands. Because that letter, I felt like everybody was feeling that way in that moment. Even though it wasn't true, the enemy was just like in my ear. And I was like, no, i got to worship the Lord. And I remember worshiping God. And then I went to stand up to lead in prayer. And as I was taking the steps, I remember the Lord. As clearly as I'm talking to you now, God just spoke to me and said, this is your rightful place. Now lead it. And I got so bold all of a sudden. Do you know, this is actually outside of the board and outside of Korah. This is the first time I ever told this story. And I remember one of my board members come to me afterwards and he looked at me and he says, Thou, that is how you do it. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 22. In a moment where Israel was facing many, many enemies and the Lord had promised victory for them, but they were still facing an uphill battle. They were severely outnumbered. The Lord says, march against them. And listen to what they did. At the very moment, they began to sing and give praise. At the very moment, they began to sing and give praise. The Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. Verse 24, so when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, before they even got into their battle, all they saw were dead bodies lying around on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. Your praise will lead to your breakthrough. But you cannot let your, your circumstance keep you from giving worship that belongs to God because no matter what we're going through, he's still good, he's still faithful, and the story is not over yet. Come on. Stand with me. Just stand with me. I know it's been long this morning. I had a feeling this was going to be like that this morning. I just... Would you, if, you're, if you're going through a battle right now, can I just, listen, you've heard me say it. I've been really gentle about it. You'll see me push a little bit more because I, want, I don't want barriers. I don't want barriers in our worship. I, I want order and appropriateness, and don't get me wrong, that's biblical. But I don't want barriers to keep us from encountering the presence of God. It is not just some ordinary thing. It is a precious thing to be in the presence of God, to be given the privilege to stand before the King of kings, the Lord of lords. 
to experience his glory. So I'm going to say it again. If you're going through something, with all the eyes closed around this place, would you just signify by saying, God, I'm going to lift my hand before you right now, and I'm going to begin to worship you all over this place. You're going through something. Don't let circumstance keep you from praising God tonight, today, because I believe the praise is going to bring your breakthrough, at least the beginning of your breakthrough. Go ahead. Thanks for listening in to this week's message. Be sure to follow us on all social media to stay updated with everything Community Church. Also check us out at www.com.